Hey, welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all the things the culture doesn't want to talk about. And that might scare you. <laughs> well, hey, it's good to be back in the studio, Nathan. Uh, you know, it's fun. I'm, it's always good to come down here and just be like, you know, let's, let's talk about all those divisive things that we can talk about. It's too much fun <laughs> not to talk about. It. it is. You're right. I don't know why people don't do this more often. Well, they, they lose friends that way. Well, okay. Maybe and, that's and I think we've become okay with, with just uh, truth over friends. Right. Well, so, I think I've gained a lot of friends. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. But it cleans out, you know, the current ones. It does. And then, then really good. asks, hey, what do you really believe in? What do you, what are you really uh, espousing? And I, I think it's, great. it's, it's, it's uh, you know, COVID has been the year of the great unmasking. Oh, yeah. And it's. I, I, I want to think that in many ways we've been seeing how the church has been being realigned mm -hmm. with like-minded thinking or, you know, people thought that they were real open to other people's point of view until they were actually challenged by finding out what their friends think. <laughs> That's right. and, and then they found out they're not as tolerant as they thought. That's they right. Were. That's right. Well... One of those new friends that we have made because we speak truth, we have her here today in the studio. And we are blessed. It's I'm glad my friend list is growing. It, it is. It's awesome. And this friend that we have, everyone, for the for the listeners, is, is Andrea Butselis. She is a pastor in the Disciples of Christ denomination, and she is just she's a she's a truth speaker. And she does it way nicer than you and I do it, Nathan. <laughs> like she's sweet. And I don't know how Maybe anyone, we could learn a thing. We could, I think. I, but, Let's pay attention. But we have her here today. <laughs> and so, Andrea, we, first we want to say welcome. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to be here. Thanks for being here. And and you, you know, you speak truth. You speak it very lovingly. You're not you're not a jerk. Sometimes Nathan and I can come off a little more jerkish. We understand that. And so we try Mike to... Micah comes off more as a jerk. <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly less well, jerky. I don't know. It depends on who you ask. Well, that's true. Uh, it, it depends, it, it depends on, on the context. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but you, even in your... Your world, we brought you in today because in your world, you've been experiencing discrimination, censorship. Um, you've been told to essentially leave your church and even threaten to, to have your standing in the Disciples of Christ removed. And so we wanted to just kind of bring you in and let you share your story. And today we wanted to talk about that pesky little thing called censorship that is going on everywhere in our culture, but most people don't realize it's happening in the church. Yeah. A place where freedom should reign, and we should be able to say, "Let no bring bring your questions." But we're going to go back to God's word. We're not afraid of people asking questions. We because we know that we we have God's word and truth. It should be welcomed when people say, "I, I have a question." But you're being told not to bring your questions. Don't don't speak out what you believe God's word says, and just go along with the status quo. So so tell us a little bit about your background, your story, and kind of what. What led you to this point? Okay. Well, I am uh, a chaplain also. I've spent a lot of time in several hospitals, including Methodist, IU, Riley. have worked in the ER, um, several different hospitals. I'm in a hospital right now uh, in Indianapolis working as a chaplain. Hopefully it'll stay that way. Um, ortho Wendy. Uh, and we do not want us to put this out on. We, we probably should not put this one out online then. If uh, <laughs> No, no. no I, you know what? These guys are great that work. They're the surgeons and the staff. I uh, preach uh, occasionally at my church. 
when asked. I have an outreach that I started there working uh, for the last five or six years with the recovery community as an advocate for both parents and people uh, in treatment, receiving help for recovery, helping people get into recovery. Just so much involvement in that. So uh, I had a lot of lot of moving parts within my personal journey as a chaplain, pastor, advocate. I'm sure, you know, oh, I was a hospice chaplain for four years with IU. So I've done a lot. I've done a lot. And it's, it's been great. It's, mm. it's, it's, you know, when you invest decades of your life into ministry, uh, it, it doesn't identify who I am, but it's a big part of my identity, I guess, if that makes sense. Can, can I just say something about uh, hospital chaplaincy? Um, because my mom is a hospital, was a hospital chaplain either 27 or 29 years she actually prayed at one point, Lord, I'd like to pastor a community. And and the Lord opened the door for chaplaincy up. And uh, what was amazing to me is as her as her kid growing up, there's nowhere we could go that somebody did not know my mother because she had reached down in that moment of, uh, of brokenness in their life and loss in their life. And she was there, you know, in those dark times. And, you know, one of the main things I think in pastoring is, uh, when you go through the valley with people at their darkest days, they will never forget you. They, you will always be special to them. And so, you know, being able to be in the chaplaincy uh, field, I know, you know, from, from my vantage point has been unbelievably rewarding for the kingdom. So thanks for serving in that way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because when I was at Methodist in the ER, Oftentimes people, after they had gone through real crisis, tragedy, loss, they would say regarding the chaplain and the visit, they would say, I don't remember their name. I don't even remember their face. I just remember that somebody was there. Yeah. And I have done more funerals than I can count. Yeah. It's, it's an honor. And it's funny because when I was in seminary, we had to do an internship three months at the hospital. I ended up going on to do a residency in, a, in addition because I loved it. You have to be a little edgy to be a chaplain, so that's a good fit for me. <laughs> and uh, this, my fellow students at seminary, they didn't want any part of going in the hospital. They were uncomfortable. I mean, you get called to every death. You get called into every room when they are taking people off of life support. Mm-hmm. Um and people, it means so much to them. And I could tell you story after story after story, but that's not why we're here today. But yeah, I, I, we're out in the trenches too. When I was a hospice chaplain, I was out in the field. And I could tell you a lot of interesting stories about that as well. But um, yes, thank you. Yeah. So it's clear that you have a heart for people. I mean, you love people, you serve people, and which I thought was so interesting when when you spoke back in July, July 11th, uh, you were you were given a message, and that's kind of how I got to know you, because um, you you got up and you just kind of called out uh, what's going on in the public schools right now with this Marxist ideology being pushed, this uh, this uh, ideology of division, CRT, um, and you just you said you from a biblical perspective, you said, hey, this isn't right, and we need to return back to biblical truths and we as the church should should push 
education back to alignment with what God's word says about education and not going down this divisive, you know, um, this ideology. And so, and so, but you, you did that. And I listened to the message. I went back, you know, I got to know you from that, went back and listened to the message and, and it was very well done. I mean, you, you were very thoughtful you in your approach. You used God's word. You were able to articulate uh, a loving tone. I mean, there was nothing in there that I thought was out of bounds or, or, or even out of alignment with God's word. And, but you got some pretty major pushback in the church, um, the disciple, the Carmel Christian Church, which is across the street from Carmel High School, and then, and then even from higher up in the higher ups in the uh, Disciples of Christ. So, so tell us a little bit about what went on there, and and kind of how you were, what you were expecting, if that's something you ever expected, and and uh, you know, kind of just your mindset when that happened. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I knew that it could potentially be uh, a little bit controversial because, you know, we live in such a divisive time. And um, it's kind of like the Tower of Babel. Of course, I was listening to Jordan Peterson. I know you're a fan. And he was talking about that. And he was talking about the right and left. And he said, they literally speak two different languages. And I've learned that now more than ever. You can't communicate with somebody if they speak another language. And I found that more than ever, ironically, within my own congregation. So it really created an uproar. And I preached on July 11th. The the uh, passage that I preached was from Paul in Galatians, uh, basically that we are all created in the image of God. And you would think that that message would be well-received. Well, they didn't appreciate the fact that I pointed out that in the school system within Carmel, they're teaching racism, you know. And the other thing that I did not get into, and this is what really kind of set me in a direction that uh, really was unnerving when I saw the books that they had kids as young as six years old reading about gender identity. And, you know, the disciples, we've always been a little bit more liberal. And I was too, but I'm not so much anymore because things are just going so far uh, off the guardrails or the godrails, if you'd like to call it that. And I just can't get on board with some of this theology anymore. But the church professes to be open and affirming. So prior to me preaching this sermon, I had reached out to a couple of people in the church. And um, I was told, just preach it, you know, preach it before I really went into detail about the sermon. I just said it could be perceived as somewhat controversial. And it was interesting because a couple of weeks prior to that, the new pastor was standing up and they were talking about the church being an open and affirming church. And she said, yes, absolutely. Open and affirming. Open means everybody. The end. I'll never forget that because she just said the end. Open and affirming. And I thought after I preached that when just, it just got insane. So that you're telling me they weren't affirming to you. No. <laughs> No. Well, that doesn't seem, that seems a little hypocritical if you, if you ask me. And, and you know, <laughs> I mean, Micah, it's what been almost three months ago that this was preached. And it just, it just turned into something so obnoxious and so unnecessary. But I saw firsthand 
um, the degree, the lengths that some people will go to to totally shut somebody down within the church. And I was talking to the pastor yesterday, and I said, we're supposed to be open and affirming. I said, I don't feel affirmed. And I told her that, you know, we're experiencing censorship everywhere. I said, I didn't ever see a day where I thought it would be happening in the church. And I said, I especially never thought I'd see the day where it actually happened to me. Mm. I did not see that coming. Mm. It's interesting you say that because um, you know who Bill Maher is. He's the uh, liberal comedian, right? <laughs> he's a who. He, he's starting to say the same thing you're saying. Yes. He's saying the left has become crazy. They're even attacked. They're coming after me. I was their biggest champion, and now they're they're crucifying their own. They they're eat eating, their own. They're eating their own. They, they eat their own. They don't even they, – they've lost, you know, the concept of comedy, yeah. right? Uh, everybody apologizes all over the place mm-hmm. for anything that could possibly offend. Even comedy was meant to offend yeah. and to poke fun at. It is a our differences. It is, it, it yeah. is actually a form of, of free speech. Mm-hmm. And now the comics who've been ripping the right forever, like mm-hmm. Mar, yeah. right now find himself open to target and that he has helped to to propagate. Yeah. And now he's like, I can't believe they're doing this to me. You know what he said in an interview uh, with uh, Joe Scarborough and his podcast uh, a couple days ago? He told Joe, he said, I'm doing shows now where the audience is about 60% liberal and 40% conservative. He said it was never that way. He said it was always a, he said it was always 100% liberal. And he said, I think, and Joe asked him, why do you think that is? He says, because I think people are waking up to how crazy the le- the, the radical left have become. And I'm just calling it out. And I think there's conservatives that are just thankful that I'm calling it out. And they're willing to I, – I seem reasonable. I seem logical because I'm not just blindly being this radical leftist who who eats everything in their wake. And so kind of what – sounds like, Andrea, what you kind of experienced there. You were probably, if I had to guess, a little bit more on the liberal side. And then they start eating – you and you're like, whoa! I've been, I've been. What are you guys doing? I'm on your team, right? Right. And then, and then it wakes you up to like, wow. Let's reevaluate the worldview that I that I was going along with, and maybe I'm not. Maybe the worldview needs to change a little bit. Maybe we're a little out of sync with what God's perspective of of reality is. And and it, I hear you saying that. Maybe you're not. But that's kind of what I'm. What I'm. I feel like maybe you're 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 saying a little bit. So yeah, I um. You know, you talk about a liberal, a classic liberal. Yeah. They've always believed in free speech. Free speech, yep. They've always believed in open dialogue, always been open to debate, even it's a, a spirited debate. And within the church, we have spirited theological debates. I have with my husband often. Mm-hmm. And so there is just an unwillingness now to even have a conversation. And within my own church, I thought that we were more open-minded. That was, that's how the church likes to identify itself, as a loving, open-minded. It was amazing to me, though, the minute I went against the ideology of the church— they're not open to that. They're not open to somebody who may have a different view. They're not even open to having the discussion. Now, I will say, in defense of a good part of the congregation, 
they're still old school mm-hmm. and they're old. Thank God for old people. Yeah, right. But here's the thing. Know, but right. but here's the thing. They're they're probably not speaking out on your def- on your behalf, are they're, they? They're, you know no, what they are? No, because they're not only old, they're classy. Yeah. And yeah. they're they're classy they're not, in in terms of like sp- speaking in defense. Yeah. Like they're, the the classy side is I understand you may disagree with me and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. This is America. Yeah. This is one of our great values of free speech, yeah. right? So they might not always want to engage, mm-hmm. but they're with you, you know, on on the you know, on the surface level, or not surface, on the deep level, they're really with you. Well, and an observation that I have made is the elders who literally we lost three elders, including myself. Two of them left after I made this last talk to the elders. They're they're too tired. They're too old. They don't feel like they have any skin in the game. Their kids are no longer in school. Um, they are supposedly, you know, in their golden years. The church is supposed to be a place where their spirits are fed and nourished, and it's become a full-blown battlefield as a result of this sermon that I preached on the 11th. But, you know, the elders, rather than fight for what's right, just said, we're leaving. We don't, we're too tired to have the fight. Mm. And that's what happens maybe when you have an, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a young woman, but I'm, I'm not an old lady yet. And I've still got a lot of fight left in me. And I, and I don't, I'm, I'm not, uh, the kind of person I don't like conflict, but you know, when you're a pastor, you're prepared to defend your faith. Mm -hmm. And I've been put in a position now where I had to defend it. I had to, I really had a lot of reconciling that I had to do within myself. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, you know, I have to be grateful for this experience because I've taken away a lot from it. But my point is, is that there are a lot of people in the church now, they just don't have the fight in them. You know, you go to the scriptures on fighting. Let's go back to the Old Testament I was actually talking to some people last night at the Indiana Family Institute um, uh, annual bank, dinner. Yeah, dinner, the banquet yeah. that we were at, and um, and you know, a lot of people don't want a war, but God actually left some of the people in the land to be driven out right, for the Israelites so they wouldn't forget how to war. Mm-hmm. There's actually places where it talks about left the wild animals there mm-hmm. so that they would remember how to fight. There is a day and age coming where, you know, we, we have that scripture on the, on the wall of the UN where we'll beat our swords into plowshares and we'll remember war no more. But the UN likes to say that's going to be now. in this world, yeah. right, or like in this Before age. Before Christ comes no, back. Yeah, yeah, it's when Jesus comes back that he annihilates yeah. the enemy, yeah. and then there's peace. Mm-hmm. Then they remember war no more. But in this day and age, we're in the war. Mm-hmm. We're not. There's there's war imagery all over the scriptures. Yeah. Paul says, "I'm a, you know I learned to fight. I, I fought the good fight." Mm-hmm. Right. He calls us soldiers. He talks about the armor of God. He says, "What is the armor of God?" In in Romans, it says, "That's that's Christ." Christ is the armor of light. So you're putting on Christ to do what? Go to war. To go to war. Mm-hmm. And 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 he reveals himself. I mean, Jesus is 
is the he is the warrior king yeah, yeah. you know so the idea that that we're not going to fight I think what we have to do is embrace the fight, yeah. mm-hmm, realize mm-hmm. they're coming after you. They want to silence you. I think sometimes we use open and affirming. Now, those are no words that I personally would not use in my church. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I, I don't mean to, to, to belittle any thinking, but here's why. Um, open does not, uh, ha- having an open mind all the time is not always good. I, I feel like in Adam and Eve, in the situation there, the devil is asking questions he shouldn't be asking. Mike and I were talking about this on the way down. You know, uh, Jude talks about you begin asking these these wandering stars began asking questions they shouldn't have asked, and they thought they were so intelligent for asking that question, but then they fell off the end of this thing. And then he talks about in the book of Jude these all these different groups, and they fell into sexual sin, mm-hmm. and they they go out of the boundaries of authority, and so we try to say, oh well, we're open minded to have the discussion. I think the devil says, have that, you know, uh, you know, go ahead and, and invite my ideas in, mm-hmm. while hoping to push that the 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 God ideas out. When when God talks to um, when Jesus talks to the uh, the the devil in the wilderness, mm-hmm. the devil's full of open ideas, mm-hmm. right? And Jesus comes back to say, "It is written. It mm-hmm. is written. It is written." Yeah. And he wasn't allowing the the devil to take scripture which was written and spin it mm-hmm. in a way that got him to doubt the authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's really what open-mindedness sometimes does. I don't mind saying, yeah, you know what? I know nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't worry about anything else. I don't care whether you think I'm an intellectual. I don't care whether you think I'm smart enough. I just want to know Jesus. I want to know the word. And I don't think I'm going to fall for the counterfeit as it comes off. Affirming is a word that says, we're not going to tell you that your sin is sin. Mm -hmm. And that is not Jesus Mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form. You know, Jesus, you know, he, he absolutely stands there with a woman who's caught in the act of adultery and he, he doesn't want to kill her. He came to save her, but he's the only one that has the right to kill her. He's the one without sin who is able to cast the first stone, but he chooses not to, but he does say, go and sin no more. Right. He tells other people, let something worse happen to you, right. right? He's never telling you, hey, in your sin, you're welcome here. You'll never have any convicting spirit of anything because, because we're not going to talk about that. I think open and affirming sometimes is code for you can come here with these particular sins and nobody's going to say anything yeah, Anything to you. goes. Yeah. Anything That's right. goes. And, and, I, and I, you guys, I've had so much time to think about this, obviously, everything that's taken place has really, you know, given me an opportunity. I, and I'm going to say an opportunity to reevaluate. I, I, I told the people in the church, you know what, guys, I found out through all this, I'm not a coward and I'm not going to cower to this church and this theology that it's espousing that I can see is going to a very dark place. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, even the serpent made its way into the garden. So the serpent has made its way into the churches and probably did a long time ago. And maybe a lot of people weren't paying any attention. Oh, what a nice serpent. Let's love it and be open enough for me, even though it's evil. But um, I I think that people don't want to be held to the standard that we are called to live up to 
and it's putting restraints on people. And we live in a society right now where they don't want to be, nobody wants to be held to a higher standard. Nobody wants to have to, uh, you know, put on the brakes. It's anything goes. And now what they're doing, and this is what really got me, is they're taking this into the schools and they're exploiting children, young children. And, you know, I'm looking at this as, uh, you know, we have a government, they're predators. They're, they're preying on our children within the schools. And they're preying on the parents now that are trying to speak out against this and hopefully will continue yeah, but, let's call the FBI on those people. Oh my God, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're they're domestic yeah. terrorists. Could you believe that? Oh my I, goodness! I, 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 Only when you give this kind of th- this kind of foolishness power, yeah, you mm-hmm. should expect that. Yeah, you should expect mm-hmm. this to happen. I I believe that we are going to have people around us. Like you, you had the serpent. Did God know that the serpent was in the garden? Yes, He did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did God put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden as a test? He did, because without free choice, you can't even have love. You have to have the concept of being able to choose. So I don't really think that God's really removing the enemy from us. He's going to allow us to be tested. But I'm glad to hear like what you're saying. This is a chance for you to reevaluate and just go, wait a minute. Have, you know, you have the warrior heart. It might have been you didn't realize who exactly was the, was. And it's not people that are our enemy, but the spirit, right? right uh, the, right. the, the spirit of the, the enemy that's at work behind the scenes, right? As, as Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And some, that's yes. right. Sometimes that voice, that spirit of antichrist is speaking out of our friends' mouths. Mm-hmm. We love these people. And we're like, wow, the whole, whole, where is this coming from? Like right. where, why, I can't believe this is coming out of your mouth. And, and we have to really what we're doing in many ways is love is forcing us to fight for people. Right. Because they're deceived. Right. Like we do with our children. That's right. You know, I want to say something to that point because you said, you know, you've got older people, old school people in the church and they're they're not fighting. They And so how can we get people to recognize, hey, you've not fighting isn't an option. I mean, right. you you look back through every generation in American history, every generation has had to fight to defend liberty. Now, most of the time it was with bullets and bombs, but we we see now we're still in the fight. We're in a fight of ideology. We're in a fight of philosophy. Mm-hmm. We're in a fight of Marxism and and Carl just that Karl Marx uh, worldview versus the idea of liberty and freedom and individual sovereignty and 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 so we are in this we are in this fight. And I was I heard a quote from Thomas Paine uh, a while back, and I love it. And he says. He was one of our founding fathers. He said, I prefer peace, but if trouble must come, let it come in my time so my children may live in peace. And it goes back to the biblical truth that Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And think about that concept, peacemaker, for a second. Not peacekeepers. Not peacekeepers. And I think I think the the older generation that I've talked to, a lot of times, I think they've they've misconstrued the word peacekeeper with the word peacemaker with the word peacekeeper. Mm -hmm. And and we think, no, we need to be peacekeepers and keep the peace. No, no, no. You 
make peace. The emblem of the United States, the seal of the United States is the bald eagle. Right. And in, in his right talons, he has an olive branch. Mm-hmm. And in his left talons, he has a cluster of arrows. You know, it, it's interesting. W- what way is his head turned? His head is turned looking at the olive branch. The olive branch symbolizes peace. Says, and, and that says we will be a people who value peace. We want peace. We don't want to go to war. It's not our desire to see bloodshed in war. However, when the day comes that we are being threatened and our peace is in jeopardy, we're going to take up arms and we will go to war and we will stomp out evil with a, with a fierce, ferocious, ferocious just, um, you know, the claws of the eagle, right? Just coming down on that evil and just stomping it out. And then there will be peace. And you know what? We are at that place. Yeah. We are at that place right now. It's we're mm-hmm. at a, we're it's it's cultural crossroads. It's um, you know, I, I have to tell you something interesting. Uh, to go back to the elderly congregants, you know, these are people. We had a World War II mm. um, veteran in our church, and I loved this guy, and always thanked him for his service. Because in my heart, I'm a patriot. I lived on the uh, island of Guam when I was a little girl in the military base. So I have family that is, they are veterans. And we can appreciate the sacrifices that they made. But the elderly congregants, it was in their recent past. And so they fought the good fight. Yeah. Okay? It's our turn. They, yeah. Right. I mean, and so I remember saying to one of the ladies, and I was telling you, Micah, I love these little old ladies. They're so, they're so dignified. They still have their perfect hair and they go every Wednesday to get their hair done. And <laughs> they always dress up nice to go to church. I love that. Awesome. I love that, you know, um, that era. And she said, Andrea, I liked your sermon, but I think maybe it wasn't the appropriate place for it. And I said to her, if we cannot stand up in the pulpits and speak out against evil that is being perpetrated on our children, then where in God's name are we going to do it? Yeah, it's good. Well, you know, and before you get to war with bombs and bullets, war is fought in the pulpits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Black Robe Black Regiment, robes, yeah. Yeah. you know, back to the Black Robe yeah. Regiment, yeah. back to where did this revolution even come from? It came from the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was this ideology of freedom and accountability and branches, all of this stuff. We go back, we can find all that spoken in the yeah. pulpit before it was ever put to paper for for our constitution. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that we we have to be willing to to fight these battles. I think that there are old people that are still ready to fight. Yeah. yeah. You know, there are there are people there are young people, they didn't even know they were supposed to fight about this. <laughs> My, I, I think Mike and I did an interview out in, um, in law, uh, for, for a church in Los Angeles that we did. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, podcast. Yeah. And they thought, oh, man, these, these people, they had ne- these young people had never heard us speak. And I was the old guy in the yeah, room yeah, at that yeah. point. 
they they haven't even heard this kind of talk. Yeah. They've heard nobody challenge anything. They're, they have been told everything is about welcoming. So like their 10 commandments of what young people think about, their 11th commandment, they don't even believe a lot of the 10 commandments, but if they had another commandment, it was you shall be welcome. Everybody's or welcome. you shall yeah. be nice. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and so they don't even re- realize that how out of sync their version of Christianity is compared to the Christianity of the Bible. And, and, and it's the older folks who actually read the Bible. Yes. A lot of our young people are about as biblically illiterate as they come. And in fact, if we're really going to talk about why the church is in the state it is, yeah. they're biblically illiterate. They, they don't I, know the word. I think well, that every pastor, and to add on your note there, uh, Nathan, Every pastor, and some pastors don't like it when I say this, but they have a duty to engage in this fight. And I know pastors want to, you know, just hug everybody. A pastor by nature is just, they love people, right? That's kind of the pastor's heart. But boy, you have embraced the wolves in your Shep, in your sheep's pasture, you have embraced the wolves and said, hey, wolf, come in here and just just have, you know, welcome to our home. Well, what starts happening? The wolf starts eating the sheep <laughs> and the shepherd has, well, we, we, we don't really want to, you know, take out a, you know, our sword against the wolf because that'd be really mean. And we're supposed to be welcoming to the wolf, just like the sheep, because, you know, God created the wolf too, right? And so the, and so this idea that the pastor's just there should be always welcoming is just it's so it's so anti-God because God is saying to the pastors, no, shepherd. Shepherd means you have a staff, which brings the sheep close, helps you keep the sheep in line lovingly, you know, in a way that that is good for the sheep. But then you also have a rod. The rod. And most pastors forget this passage. Thy thy rod and thy, thy staff, they shall comfort me, is what is what David writes about. And and the rod is the bludgeoning uh weapon that kills the wolf. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly. It's, it's a mace. It really is, it's yeah. It's a mace. Yeah. You know, back in medieval times, clerics could not carry swords. Did you know that? I didn't know that. They, no. could, they could carry maces. Okay. That's exactly, yeah. they were allowed so to defend you, themselves with, kill you with, with that, a club. Yeah. 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 And 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 from that club, that's where we get the concept of a scepter. Mm-hmm. The scepter is what the, the king is. Rod. The king is the shepherd mm-hmm. of his people, right? That's, that's, that's that weapon. Yeah. And we don't, want to think about it in terms of a shepherd kills lions and bears and wolves and thieves and it guards its flock. It's responsible you know? to guard its yeah. flocks. And, yes. and, and, and shepherds that don't do their job, mm-hmm. you know, read Ezekiel chapter 33 and see yeah, if, what if the watchman yeah. doesn't ring the bell when the enemy is attacking, it. The, uh, what, what God, God says there is that the the watchman is going to be held responsible because he didn't ring the bell and the people perished. All their blood is on their heads. But if he does ring the bell and the people don't respond to the attack then the blood's on their own heads right? Yeah. and the shepherd or the watchman is, is not held accountable. Yeah. Right. I, I think that when it comes to, we were at this event last night and the man who was speaking, he brought up, um, he brought up Psalm 92 and uh, Psalm 92, I love this part where it talks about old people. It says, the righteous man will flourish like a palm tree and he will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. 
they will yield fruit in old age. <laughs> they shall be full of sap and very green to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's what old people ought to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, you have Caleb in the scriptures who goes, I'm 85, but I didn't forget that those mountains belong to me and they're strengthening me right now to go do it. Well, you have John, right? John, when he was, uh, what, nine? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Yeah, yeah, Fox's Book of Martyrs. John goes out and basically goes to a den of robbers and, and grabs- Retrieves his young man. Yeah, his young man as a 94-year-old and and the, the whole den of thieves is looking at this- great godly man they, they they they've never seen courage and strength like this 94 year old has and these are 20 year old you know thugs thugs and yeah. they don't want to they don't want to touch he was walking with that much authority and power of god that even in his 90s he was striking fear in the heart of these these 20 20 year old thugs because what? because old people who love Jesus yep. are never done with their battle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're not done until the Lord removes it's them. Good. One of the uh, one of my mentors when I was in the hospital always told me, Andrea, do you realize that we are the only people in this hospital that we are authorized to walk into any room that we want to? Yeah. As a chaplain, you can go into any room that you want. Wow. Mm -hmm claim your authority. That's good. That's and right. I've never forgotten that. Claim your authority. And when you're feeling beaten down and the mob is coming after you, when you confront that and when you claim your authority, you know what? It's not so bad mm -hmm. because I've come out of this relatively unscathed. I mean, I got my feelings hurt a little bit, but but you know what, you you're guys? You're strong. You're way stronger. You know this. what? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what happened was the the fight to take this off of the Facebook page, these people were just uh, just unwavering in their uh, efforts to do this. They weren't going to stop. And so in the beginning, they said, well, this is what we'll, we'll put a disclaimer. We'll put a disclaimer on the Facebook page. Basically, you know, we're, we, you know, we have other people that might not have the same opinion that we have. Then the comments wouldn't stop coming in. There was over 1,400 last count. Now, this is a small church. They don't typically have more than maybe 50 comments. <laughs> so this was 1,400. And then they said- What is happening? They said, they said and, and it's, you know, it's not funny, but you gotta laugh because it's insane. And then they said, okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna shut down the responses, okay? Because there's the vitriol. You know, one of the sweet ladies that I told you about, she said, Andrea, people were saying things and it just, they were so mean. You know, I mean, this is, this is the kind of hearts that most of these people have that have been attending church. And then you've got a whole new generation coming in that quite frankly, also, when you were talking about how they're biblically illiterate, they're also very arrogant. Mm -hmm. There's an oh, yeah. arrogance yeah. that... They won't even give you an opportunity to speak because they think they know more than you. But they think you're arrogant. Right. They they think you're arrogant because you say what God said with, you just said, claim your authority, claim right? Claim your authority, yeah. So here you are with authority saying, the Lord has said, just like Jesus taught us to do, it is written. We have to watch the way Jesus fights and we got to fight the way Jesus fights, right? So you do that, you're right, you're quoting the word to God to them, and they can't stand it. Mm -hmm. They can't stand it. And so they're the one with the arrogance problem. 
but they think you're arrogant. And, uh, you know, I think we, we got to wrap up here, so I don't mean to cut this great conversation off. This is, this is awesome. Um, but there, this is a reminder to us that we don't, we don't stop fighting. And I hope everybody listening to this podcast, you know, is inspired by Andrea, is inspired by your story because you, you really are, the Lord is, I think the Lord is crafting you and and molding you into a warrior even more so than what you were before you went into this fight. And we should be like, there is a scene that as you guys were talking, there's a scene in Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've watched Lord of the Rings or not, but it's, there's this epic battle and the, the evil, the orcs are, orcs are, storming the castle, right? And they're coming up this ramp and there's just thousands of them, right? And they're at this big giant gate and they're trying to they're trying to bang the gate down. If they get through the gate, they're going to be able to, you know, really kill a lot of innocent people. And then you have a you have the uh King Theoden. Uh, yeah, Theoden and well you have a uh, Leg- Legolas, is that how you say his name? Legolas. Uh, Legolas yeah. and then he's the elf and then you have the dwarf, I forget his mm-hmm. name. Um uh, Gimli. Gimli, right? I mean, they're always in this like competition who can kill the most, uh, you know, <laughs> bad guys, right? And so they they kind of, and then the king, uh, uh, Aragorn, right? Yeah, um, Aragorn. Aragorn. So and he, obviously Nathan's that Lord of the Rings geek. Oh, he's read he's he's read Rings. all the books. I've only watched the movies, so that's the. But I love it. Right. You get credit. <laughs> you get credit for watching the movie. Okay. So so the, you got oh, uh, Aragorn, uh, Gimli, and uh, Legolas, right. and they they're they kind of look. They're they're behind a corner. Right, and there's this gap between where they're at, and there's this huge, like, just uh, you know, hundred foot drop, and they they're, they they want to get over to where all the orcs are trying to break in, and and so Gimli's like, he's like, just launch me, just toss throw, me, toss me over there, and don't tell the it, elf, <laughs> don't tell the elf, and he had that mindset. He was like, I'm not gonna run. I'm not going to run away. When everyone else was running away from these orcs who were storming the door, he said, hey, somebody throw me over there so I can kick the living daylights out of them. I'm going to claim my authority. I know who I am, and I could take every single one of them. There, there could be 10,000. I could take them all right now, right? And Or die trying. Or die trying, right? <laughs> like, listen, he wasn't afraid to die, obviously. Right. But and, that, and I think that's yeah. a brilliant point, right? Yeah. We care too much about holding on to our life. Yeah. The secret of being a Jesus follower is we've, to we've let already, it go. We've already lost You're it. You're supposed to be a dead yeah. man walking. Yeah. You can't hurt a dead man. Yeah. Right? You can cut them, but they don't respond. Well, in 2020, how many people were like, oh, stay safe, be safe. And I thought to myself, it's like, why? Like, what, your body's going to die in the next hundred years, almost all of us aren't going to be here right now. Like, Die gloriously. <laughs> it's kind of like, that's not to say go out and be foolish, but it is to say like, stop worrying about when you're, when you're going to die. If, if the Lord, if you are living in wisdom, then you're death proof until the Lord says otherwise. Amen. If a virus takes you out, it's not going to be surprising to the Lord. If a car accident takes you out the moment you st- you drive somewhere today, it's not going to be surprising. And you're death proof until the Lord says otherwise. Go and live in authority and don't live in fear. Yeah, uh, yeah. just because you brought up the scene and it's yeah. from the two towers. If you've never seen the the movie, <laughs> go watch the I've two seen towers it multiple times. Right. Hi, I'm yeah. Nathan. I'm Nathan. And, uh, I'm the nerd that knows uh, Lord of the Rings and uh, it's the two towers. Uh, it's scene forty two. Uh, at <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's about an hour and fifty one minutes in the movie. No, I just. 
but they, <laughs> the, the, even the they get to a point where they're looking at how bad now now that gate's actually fallen right yeah. and now they're going into the next levels next yeah. levels it seems like the, the the castle that had never been overcome has now been overcome mm-hmm. and there's a conversation between the Jesus character of the movie which is Aragorn mm-hmm. and or of the book yeah. and 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 King Theoden yeah. and King Theoden he goes, where did this reckless hate come from? Because that's really what it is. He goes, how do you, how do you even uh, engage such reckless hate? How did we get here? And is this the way that it all ends? And Aragorn, the Jesus figure, he says, ride out with me. Come on. And, and, and all of a sudden, Theoden starts to go, we'll die. He goes, ride out with me. And he's like, Yes, you know? <laughs> and so they get on their horse. They're just gonna ride out, and it's it's a beautiful scene because one of the things, and in this in this thing, it was the triumphant return of Gandalf, mm. who said, "Look for me on this particular day. Look to the east. I'm coming." Right when you think it's all gonna end and we're all gonna be lost, salvation comes. That is the message of the yeah. gospel. We will endure until the end, says Revelation, right? And Jesus is saying the same thing to all of us, ride out with me. Ride out with me. Ride out with me and fight. And uh, one of my favorite pastors uh, from California, I was listening to him in the thick of uh, the pandemic and all the churches closing down and all that. And he said, I've never seen so many Christians afraid to die. Mm, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my husband and I, we've said that so many times because we are reminded of that constantly. Where's this fear coming from? I want to, I want to, share just a couple things before we have to wrap it up. You know, for those of us who love history and are history buffs, you know, all we have to look is is the last hundred years. You know, we saw what Hitler did, Stalin, Lenin, and totalitarianism. If anybody's paying attention, we're we're on that path. Mm -hmm. Um, The truth is the greatest possession that we will ever have. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm at a place where Nobody can steal the truth. If you know the Bible, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people out there that don't know what it is, and they're not teaching it anymore. They're teaching they're false prophets, and they're even in the classrooms. They're certainly in the administration. Mm -hmm. When I wrote this sermon, there was a local politician. I asked her, I said, listen, I want you to sit down. I I want to run this by you. Tell me what you think. I read it to her. She said, wow. She goes, you're really brave. And you know what, you guys? I drove away from her house, and a thought occurred to me. Who would have thought that preaching the truth, somebody would call you brave (laughs) for telling the truth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's um, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. The disciples. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus warned us. He said, if they do this to the master, what do you think they'll do to the disciples? He said, they'll crucify you. They'll, they'll, they'll punish you and whip you and scourge you in the synagogues where that's where the word should be being preached. Right. They'll do all this to you and think they're doing God a favor. Mm-hmm. And, and, and said, that's the Christian life. You are not going to be understood. You are going to be hated. But don't worry, they hated me first. What they did to you, they did it to me first. And I showed you that it's not about happiness. It's about relationship with me and relationship with my father. That's why for the joy set before me, did I endure the cross? 
That, you know, what was, what was the joy? It was, it was what we become because of his obedience. And that's where, you know, we talk about freedom and liberty. As Christians, we've been set free. For what? To set other people free. Yeah. And they only get free by knowing who freedom is. Jesus is freedom. Well, when I was speaking to uh, the pastor yesterday, I said, I feel like I'm in exile. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that might not be such a bad place to be for me right now, right now. Um, I don't feel like I'm aimlessly wandering about, but I've certainly been removed from one place. But we know the story, so many stories of exile. Let's see where I'm going. And I'm okay with that. I wasn't for a long time, but I'm okay with that. And the other thing is, is I wanted to say, you know, you know, I didn't only get censored from one pulpit, but we have within a lot of churches because they all want to be relevant, mm-hmm. right? They're being censored from their governing bodies. If you don't take this training, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, you're no longer going to be in standing mm-hmm. with us. That's right. So, because you had to take uh, like diversity and I didn't do it. Well, they were they I were telling you right. They were telling you that. The diversity, equity, inclusion, or as our friend Alvin Louie likes to say, diversity, inclusion, equity, yeah, die. Di- die. <laughs> well, it, actually, it was anti-racist reconciliation okay. training. Okay. And so I started reading the format, and I said to my, the, you know, the regional manager, I said, this sounds like a government mandate, because basically, if you don't do this, you'll no longer be in standing with the church. Mm-hmm. I said, you're giving people an ultimatum. Well, some people have no choice but to do that, even though it, get, it goes against their conscience, because it's not, they're, they're at your mercy to pay their bills. Yeah, but, and it's not anti-racist. I mean, that's the thing that... that yeah, let's use racism yeah. in order to attack racism. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, that'll work. That, yeah. Well, right. and and so what really, uh, when I said no, 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 mm-hmm. was I was reading this proclamation that... Basically, one of the lines said, we profess our participation in the systemic sin of racism. And I said, what are you talking about? (laughs) I said, you know, I said, and why you guys had the luxury of sitting in your offices, your nice regional Mm -hmm. offices, the pastors, the chaplains, we're out in the trenches. We don't have time to think about this nonsense because we're out there providing pastoral care to people. We're out there with people who are dying. We're out there people whose children have overdosed. We're out there with people of all colors. I was a chaplain in a treatment center. That doesn't come into that. That's not part of what we're doing. They have idle hands. And so they have to do something. And so they do something and that something ends up being really dumb. And it causes a lot of problems. And the people who are actually out there doing the work of Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Right. You're like, what are you guys doing? Like, stay, you know, until you guys come down here in the trenches with us, you know, stay out of this business. Like, we were, we were heading in a good direction, and now you jacked it all up with your with your doctorates and your ideology that you've, over, you've overthought everything. You don't have a faith, you don't have faith like a child anymore. Well, and it's painful because you jump through a lot of hoops going through seminary. Yeah. And... Then you go through all of that, and now they're telling you, basically, in essence, you're not worthy to be in standing if you don't do this, which goes against everything that you're taught going through seminary. (laughs) 
it's well, it's, it's does crazy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, Mike and I were talking to a friend, and uh, I, I, I was talking to a friend. He was kind of listening to the phone call, and um, you know, when when it comes to what the world, um, you know, they see, they 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 everything is about education. If mm-hmm. you have this education, if you've gone through university, if you've if we tell you that you have arrived. Well, there, there's kind of a story about that in the scriptures, and it, and it's where, you know, how to, how they're persecuting uh, the disciples right from the get go in the Book of Acts, mm-hmm. and it said that they looked at these men, and they were, they were Galileans, so they weren't educated, they weren't well traveled, they had an accent, and they they looked at them and then realized they were uneducated men. They didn't go through their schools. They didn't get their, their they, they were not Pharisees by their standards or Sadducees by their standards. And it said, but they took notice that these men had been with Jesus. What gave the church its power? It was not our degrees. In fact, we're only told that there's a couple really degreed men, Apollos and Paul, right? The rest of them were pretty much just, they had the word of God. And they, and they had the revelation of Jesus and the, and the crucified Savior they had seen. And they were willing to lay down their life for him. It's, they took notice these men had been with Jesus. Well, I really don't care whether you respect my, my way of going through Jesus. Ideal, you know, in, intellectual uh, universe. Well, what did, what did Jesus say? He said, blessed are you, Peter, for no man has revealed this to you. Only the Father himself has That's revealed exactly right. Yeah. Well, and I was talking to somebody recently, and, I, you know, I got all caught up, and, you know, I've had this title and this title and done this and, you know, got all this education, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you know what? Those are earthly titles. Yeah. Amen. Get mm-hmm. over that. Yeah, good. Amen. Well, hey, I hate to cut this off because this is a good conversation. Andrea, you are uh, a fighter. Thank you for speaking truth and and not backing down. I know the Lord is going to continue to increase your influence and your platform. So just know you've got, you know, you've got our support and we're... Mike, I got to say one last thing. You know, I try to wrap up. I know you're trying to, but I just want to, I don't know if you ever heard this story. Did you ever hear a story? It's going to be another 20 minutes. No, no, no. This is quick. John Wesley. You're you're a pastor. It will not be quick. Well, just split it up into two two podcasts then. Um, The... the, you're going back this, to the founding fathers. No, John Wesley. Oh, uh, right? Presbyterian? No. No, the uh, father of Methodism, Methodist, right? Methodist, okay. yes. The... So, so, so he was, he, he, he wanted to preach the gospel, but he was preaching against what the, the Orthodox Anglican church was saying at the time. And, and as he's, as he's uh, trying to preach, they wouldn't give him a pulpit. So he'd show up at this church at like 830 in the morning and he'd want to preach and they kicked him out. And then he'd go over to this church at 10 o'clock and then they'd kick him out. And he'd go to this church at 1130 and they kicked him out. He said, I stood on a gravestone in a, uh, in a cemetery and 20,000 people came to hear me speak. Mm, wow. So don't, you know, first I just, I just want to say this. Thank you. Like what Michael was saying. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Secondly, you're not alone. There's 7,000 others who have not bowed knee to, knee to bail, just like he had to tell Elijah. So you're not an exile alone. I think we have a little bit more than 7,000, but, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 right. And you know and, but, but, but keep speaking because as you're kicked out, what, what I, I bet is going to happen is you're going to stand in the middle of nowhere and God's going to give you an audience. Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, you know, again, there's so many people that I love. 
and so many of them that literally reached out to me via mm. email, phone, cool. we love what you said, mm-hmm. but we're too afraid to speak mm-hmm. out. Yeah. We're too afraid or, to speak out. Or a lot of them Or left. they can't. They and left. I will say this too. Sometimes God calls us to be the tip of the spear. And I've got a lot of people that come to me and say, hey, I love what you're saying. You need to keep saying it. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm going to su- do everything I can to support you. I just can't be the one to say what you're saying. And in battle, there's a spear, right? But the spear has many facets to it. You have the tip of the spear, you have the shaft, you have the rope that holds the tip onto the shaft, you have the hand that throws the spear, and you also, and you have the money, you have the the money that builds the spear, right? right? So figure out where God is calling you in this fight. Doesn't mean you have to be like Micah, Nathan, or Andrea. It, but God is calling you to do something, and maybe it's to support the Micahs and the Nathans and the Andreas. Maybe it's it's to fund what God is doing and, and to fund the battle. So you don't have to always be the one who's up there, you know, taking the shots and giving the blows, but you are called to engage in this fight in some way, shape, and form. So... So whatever that, whatever the Lord starts laying on your heart, if you're listening to this, just ask him, say, God, where is my place in the battle? You know what? Some people might need to be on the hospital ship, right? Maybe not everybody's supposed to be on the battleship. Maybe you're supposed to serve in the hospital ship. You are only to call, to care for those who have been wounded. And that's part of the battle. We need that. That's very important. But don't neglect the front lines. Don't yeah. say, hey, those on the front lines are, are not loving. Yeah. No, they are. they're doing the good work. And then those on the front lines don't say those in the hospital ship are weak and wusses because they don't want to be on it. No, they're doing the good work. We've got to come together, and this is a war that we're in, and there's there's multiple roles God is going to call us to play. Figure out your role and walk in that. So, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for yeah. being with us. Yes, Andrea. Very much. Thank so you. Good. Thank so you good. So good. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. again, hey, if you uh, like our podcast, um, subscribe to it. You know, it helps the algorithms. Give us five star rating if you could, and that would, uh, you know, that boosts us in the in the the whole world of. I don't know, algorithms. I don't know how that works. Is that a world? Maybe it is. I don't know. But uh, we'll be building the apparatus out, a website, and, yep. and different things to help. Mailing list. Uh, yeah, exactly. To help yeah. Jesus, sex, and politics reach more people. But to always help us and recommend recommend us to to somebody who uh, who you think we could help. Yeah, share this. Yeah, share this. And, uh, and I think we're going to have Maria, one of uh, our assistants, she's going to help uh, build our uh, email lists and newsletters and all that. <laughs> Does she know that? No, she doesn't. Okay. And she's going to hear this. She always listens to these, and she's going to hear this and be like, I'm not your assistant. She's and, testing you right and, now. And we are. I'm not going to do your work for you. <laughs> so uh, anyway, hey, this has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And we talk about all the things culture doesn't want to talk about. That was scary. Hey, we'll catch you next time. Take care.